0: Welcome to the
1: Skin Club Podcast.
0: We are your hosts. I'm Rachel, a licensed esthetician and certified laser technician. And I'm Alita,
1: a licensed esthetician and integrative health practitioner. Welcome
0: Welcome to to the the club. Club. Hello. Hi, guys. (laughs) Welcome back. Today, we are really giddy because we just talked to
1: the one and only Jamarini. (laughs) I'm so excited guys. She's just like a wealth of knowledge and truly is just like an amazing person but also like entrepreneur and business owner. It's her mind. I want it. It's insane. Yeah. So good. You can definitely
0: (laughs) tell how passionate
1: she is and just how knowledgeable she is. Yeah, she's so cool. You guys are going to be seeing a lot of her on the podcast here soon. Yeah, she's our new bestie. <laughs> yes, we love her. Okay, well, let's dive into our weekly favorites and weekly updates right before we jump into the episode so what's your weekly favorite okay my weekly favorite
0: my weekly update are the same so we'll okay. keep this nice and simple amazing my weekly favorite weekly update is the anti-age serums oh, i said it. anti-age last week and i know i'm gonna get crap for it, but it's anti-age um we just brought on their stem cells love them to use for microneedling and the before and afters are actually insane and i will Never microneedle without it again. Like it it's is so good. so good, and then you get to take a kit home as Amazing. well to boost the results for brightening for fine lines. Like even just one treatment is like mind blowing. Yes. So that's my weekly favorite and weekly update. I love
1: those. So I got some of those to do on writer's scalp. Oh, nice. We're trying to get that hairline back, you know. Yeah. I'm so 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 excited. But and on that same note, token. Wavelength. Wavelength. All the things <laughs> on the same attachment. Um, I'm going to their event tomorrow night Ooh. that they collabed with. Um, skin, skin Pen. Yeah. I'm so excited. So, I, so. Wish, I wish I could go. It's going to be so fun. <laughs> and our girl, Emily, is speaking, I believe. Yes, she is. I wish I could go. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, okay. My weekly favorite is... Gosh, I don't even know if I, oh, just Easter. I guess that would be my weekly favorite. It's just like holidays with the kids. I think I say this not every single holiday time, but just holidays with kids. It's just so much more magical and it's so fun. And I got an air fryer. I love my air fryer. Yes. The I got best. the dual ninja one. So I'm very excited to have a lot of air fried food.
0: (laughs) Yay. That's exciting.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited. And then update is I got my brows done by Modern Brow Co. She is Kelly here in Arizona. She is just so cute and she is so smart and just knows everything about brows. So yeah, I'm super excited um, just to try them out. And I also got my lashes done by Meg this week and I love them. Anyways, so... (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) sorry joey is just like trying to get me alita silently trying to get her out (laughs) i'll get you a sticker in a minute okay okay Okay. (laughs) joey do you want to come say hi at least she's happy okay Okay, come say say hi hi. say hi hi joey of course now she chooses (laughs) not to speak okay cool (laughs) anyways Uh okay So anyways, guys, we are just so honored to have had Jan Marini on the podcast. You guys are going to love it and you're going to love everything that you learned from this episode. So take notes and we'll see you guys in the episode. Okay, you guys, welcome back to another episode of
0: the Skin Club podcast. Today, we are privileged to be sitting down with Jan Marini, founder of Jan Marini Skin Research. She is... A pioneer in the industry and one of the most respected names in aesthetics. Uh, her products are innovative and both Alita and I have utilized her products and seen great success with our clients. And so this is just so surreal to be sitting down with her. So thank you, Jan, for joining us today.
2: Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. I've really been looking forward to joining you and I'm excited
1: Yay. This has been a long time coming. We've just been like waiting and waiting for this call. So we're so excited. So
0: we want to focus on your journey as an entrepreneur. The majority of our listeners are a lot of young estheticians that are wanting to start their own businesses. And so we want to hear about your background and ask just how it all started. Has skincare always been a passion for you?
2: Well actually I I think it has. You know, there's kind of a there's a family legend where they claim that one of the first words I ever said was dehydrated. <laughs> <laughs> but but I you know, I can't think of a time when I wasn't thinking in some way about skincare. Now, that may have been because I had three brothers, older brothers. I was the youngest one in my family. In fact, my oldest brother was 17 years older and my youngest brother was eight and a half years older. The middle one was like 15 years older. Oh, wow. But they had acne. And it. And my oldest brother probably had it the worst. And for some reason, well, I, I shouldn't say for some reason, it's obvious why it would sort of be a concern. And since it runs in families and people can inherit it, it was something that was on my mind. And so I thought about that a lot. And I was very fortunate that as a teenager, I was in the one to two percentile. I never had an acne lesion. Oh I never, ever broke out. And when I was 19, I developed severe cystic acne. Oh, no. And I became a two-time Accutane failure. So I was in one of the last groups that was sort of a test group with Stanford University just before Accutane was actually uh, approved for full use, full prescription use. And then I was on Accutane again about a year and a half, maybe almost two years later. And so when you say you fail Accutane, um, it's not like your skin doesn't get clear. But Accutane is not a cure for acne. And you go into remission. And remission could be six months. Remission could be a year. It could be five years, ten years, twenty years but I'm sure you've seen individuals where they've told you they've been on Accutane and their skin still breaks out. Mm -hmm. They still have some bumps. Maybe it's not to the same extent that it was before they went on Accutane, but, uh, but at any rate, um, so beyond that though, I have been a product researcher for well over 40 years. Oh my goodness. Well, you don't look a day
1: over 40, so.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you. But back in the early days, my expertise is really in the area of ingredients. So, you know, when you look at a skincare product and you see that list of ingredients, which believe it or not is much more complicated than a prescription product. You know, when you look at a drug product, in order to get it through the FDA, you can't have a gazillion different ingredients because what are they approving? So, you've got the active ingredient, right? That's a topical. And maybe you've got something like, you know, Vaseline or you've got some type of a very basic formula base formula but with a skincare ingredient you have got this huge list and how do you know if it's really going to make your acne better or worse and how do you know if it's going to make your discoloration better or worse or make you look younger and so I did a lot of lecturing to physicians and a lot of lecturing to skincare professionals you know medical professionals and then I started doing a lot of radio and television people love to hear about ingredients (laughs) what works what doesn't work and as time went on, I developed associations with physicians and researchers all over the world. And I really started to focus on uncovering and identifying breakthrough technologies. Now, when I use the term breakthrough, I don't mean just breakthrough. You know, you hear the term breakthrough all the time because people always talk about their product, their technology being a breakthrough. I'm talking about things that weren't in the marketplace. Wow. So I began researching glycolic acid back in the early to mid-80s. Now, back in the early to mid-80s, nobody had ever heard of it. Even physicians hadn't heard of it. You couldn't walk into a drugstore or department store. In fact, they were using it for things like cleaning stains off of driveways, grease oh, wow. out of car engines. Yeah. And the two doctors that are considered the father of alpha-hydroxy acids, Dr. Van Scott and Dr. Rui Yu, they were probably the only doctors in the U.S. who were using it, and they got it from this this. Someplace called Crown Chemical, and they bought it in bottles and they were using it to peel skin. But anyway, so I started working with glycolic acid, and then around 1989 going into 1990, I brought to market two product lines, which some people still remember MD Formulations and MD Forte. Now, it was really unique because first it was one of the, it was like literally the first glycolic acid line. But secondly, I made a decision that I was going to market it through physicians. And people thought that was like suicide. Because doctors didn't dispense product out of their offices. It was not done. And it was actually um, when, you know, when I, I, this is my fourth business. And that was the hardest time I'd ever had in a career because when I would approach a physician about something like that, they would be incensed like, You want me to carry, as I said, cosmetics out of my office? And even when it started to catch on, um, the American Academy of Dermatology came out and said, well, you know what? If you carry product in your office, we won't take your license away. I mean, even just saying those words would put fear in your heart. But we're not sanctioning it. We don't think it's something that is really ethical to do. Well, how many doctors then are going to be a little nervous about carrying product. So it really was literally the beginning of an era. And then in 1994, it was unique again, because um, it, this was the first time that a pharmaceutical company, it was Allergan, purchased MD Formulations, MD Forte. So a pharmaceutical company had not, not purchased skincare in the professional market. And so literally... July 1st, took down the MD formulation sign and put up the Jamarini skin research sign.
1: Oh wow. That is amazing. Good for you. That is just so cool. So, I um, what schooling do you have under your belt?
2: Well, I do have an aesthetic license, and I'll tell you something about that that was interesting. So, when I was putting when I was forming MD formulations, MD Forte. Back then, if you were going to demonstrate a glycolic peel, you had to have an aesthetics license. In many states, you could be a nurse. You could be an RN with eight years of schooling, and you could not do a glycolic acid peel. So I went to school. I did it at night. And in California, it's about, I want to say, um, a roughly a, a three to four-month course. And I went to school part-time because I was putting a business together during the day for literally for almost nine months. And I would, you know, at night, anytime I had a chance when people were sitting there studying, I was writing my business plan, putting together all of my, (laughs) um, you know, just how I was going to uh, roll this business out. And the interesting thing is that because I thought I was going to have to maybe demonstrate peels at medical conferences, I never demonstrated a peel. I never used it. Oh, wow. Wow. I do have it. I kept
1: I keep it up every year I renew it whenever I need to renew it. That's awesome. Well, good for you. That's so cool. Okay, so what made you want to create your own um like your own skincare line and what was your overall mission and I guess where do you where do you see the business going from here on out too?
2: Okay. So, I'm going to take you back a lot of years <laughs> and this is my Second business. So my first business, my first one, I owned a training organization for high-tech companies. Now, I was doing skin care on the side. When I say skincare, I was lecturing. A lot of lecturing, um, radio programs, talk shows. But I didn't see it as a career because I thought to myself, well, how would I, what what kind of revenue would I bring in? Because here I had a training organization for high tech companies and I had a very viable business, but my passion was skincare. Well, one day I got some phone. I started doing this, this talk show, Colin radio program. And it was a really popular radio program in Northern California. They had a lot of very well-known famous people on this program. And so they had a huge audience. And they brought me on for like a half hour. People would call in and ask questions. And it was so popular, they brought me back for an hour. Then they brought me back for two hours. I was on two hours every two weeks.
0: Oh, my god! Very cool.
2: <laughs> so people started calling me. And they would say, hey, can we come and see you? Can you you know, do a consultation? Can you tell us what we should be using? And I said, well, I'm very flattered, but that's not my business. I own a training organization, blah, 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 blah. This is just, you know, this is something I do on the side. But there were a couple of people. That were very unique one was a cancer patient and they had a um, uh, they were on a drug that was somewhat experimental and it was causing a lot of skin problems and there was another second person that had a kidney disorder and they had a heparin port and it's um, heparin is used to keep the port open all the time so it doesn't blood doesn't clot and that was creating some skin problems and so I thought, well, you know, it would be really interesting to sit down and see these two people because I would learn something, and what if what I recommend for them, maybe it would really be helpful. And so I literally formed a business, and um, the, everything that I've done is predicated on everything. It's predicated on this the consultation process that I came up with. But to make a long story short, um, I saw these two individuals, and I found it to be such an incredibly rewarding process and something that was just so engaging that I started seeing more people. Well, now pretty soon I'm thinking, okay, I'm having a hard time. I'm not, I'm not really dedicating myself to my primary business. And my ex-husband said to me, you know, Jan, you're really missing the boat. You should be providing product to these people. And I was incensed. How can I provide product this is a passion this is something this is like this is like like missionary work you know I can't then I wouldn't be objective well I actually ended up um, coming up with mixing bases so you know when you if if you're a chemist and you're going to uh, make a product you start off with a mixing base and you make, you make your bench sample by hand so it's no different than following a recipe and i came up with extracts and so i had all of these things and i actually made products literally from scratch for people um and then i and 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 i will tell you as far as the revenue part of it you know because i was so worried that i was going to somehow not provide the same type of potential that i did with my other business um i saw two people in the morning and two people in the afternoon so it wasn't like i was you know, working, seeing eight or 10 people a day. And I, um, I didn't work weekends. And at the end of the first year, after cost of product, I was going at the rate of over a million dollars a year in profit.
1: Oh my goodness.
2: And this is one of the reasons why I stress the consultation process. It's magical. This is one of the reasons why I stress, um, that particular way that I did my business because it and by the end of the second year we're going at the rate of over two million dollars a year profit mm-hmm. only and then I decided to start MD formulations MD forte which was like putting money down a deep dark hole <sighs> because that's you know that was a whole other um, business venture but um, but it, it really is it really is something that is substantial and it's COVID proof. Yeah,
1: Yeah. that's amazing. That's so
0: cool that you were able to take those two situations of those two people having those skin issues and kind of take that into your own hands and kind of be the fuel for that. That's a really cool story. What was in your line? What was your very first product that you came out with?
2: So, um, so first I was, you know, I was mixing these products, these bases, and then I, it was literally like a recipe. And so when people reordered, I actually had an assistant that would just, you know, mix product. But when I actually started coming out with products, it was glycolic acid. Yeah. And, and, and in the beginning, I actually mixed those. Um, But, you know, eventually, then I had to go into manufacturing and go down a more traditional route. But that was the when I really did it commercially on a much larger scale, it was glycolic acid.
0: Amazing.
1: That's so cool.
2: Um, And I'll tell you something, you know, um, to this day I have never had anybody put financing into my business. So a lot of times when you hear about skincare companies being sold and companies like Skin Better Science or Alaskan or something like that, they usually have, they can have hundreds of millions of dollars that have been invested in them. I've never had a penny invested in this company. And I don't believe in five-year plans because I don't know what's going to happen in five years. I know what I can do today, and I know what I can do tomorrow. I know I can get out there, and I can, I can work, and I can make something happen. And I believe in something called proof of concept. And proof of concept is that it's a belief that I have that somebody can tell you you can't do that. It's not going to work. Like I told you, everybody said it was suicide if I was going to sell products to physicians out of their office. It's not going to work. They're not going to do it. You only have to do it once. That's called proof of concept. All you have to do is find one physician who will sell product out of their office. And you know what? If you can find one, you can find another and another, and you can do it over and over and over again, and it gets easier as time goes on because you get better at it so anybody that wants to start a business, you just have to get out there. You have to work, reinvest your money, and it's proof of concept.
1: That's so cool. That's inspiring. <laughs> that is so inspiring. Um, okay, I, I just love that because our next question was actually going to be like, what advice would you give to someone like interested in starting their own skincare <laughs> line? But I feel like that kind of ties, but do you have anything else that you want to add on to that? No, I'll tell you something else. You know, we always think about
2: it you're gonna have if you're gonna do a skincare line, you wanna have the best product. Nobody ever, nobody will ever go into your business and say to you, Oh, we have the second best product. Would you buy this? It's the second best product. (sighs) These guys have the best product. Everybody has the best product, right? Right. And it's hard to differentiate because you look go on go on TikTok. Look at all the skincare myths, look at Everything that, you know, you hear out there about different products and things like that. So you could have the best product. You can have all the medical validation. But what you have to have is you have to have the best company. And what that means is, is that you've got to help your resellers to be successful. You have to help them be revenue productive. You know, a lot of times when you start a business, it doesn't mean you're a business person. It doesn't mean that you have all that business acumen. And you want to provide the tools and... And the support to withstand all the challenges i mean covid being one of many challenges but being a challenge that nobody expected and being able to truly help people to be um incredibly successful and 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 when you know how do we measure success well we measure success we measure it with satisfaction but how do we keep score we keep score because you don't stay in business if you don't make money and so being able to be incredibly revenue productive, and, and and that's something that I'm really proud of as we've evolved over the years is being able to truly, truly work with people in terms of partner with them and those business skills and helping them to be very, very successful.
1: That's so cool.
0: So I have a question about Formulation. How was that process like? Because me being a fresh SD coming out of school, learning that you can't mix certain ingredients together and then seeing your products and being amazed, seeing your retinoid mixed with benzoyl peroxide, Mm -hmm. your um, salicylic, azolate, glycolic mixed together, like all these dreamy combinations and seeing them work amazing without irritation. How was that formulation process like for you? Because just as an esthetician, it is so amazing and works so great for my clients
2: well give me an example let's take duality which is benzoyl peroxide and it's dual chamber product benzoyl peroxide and retinol so you have two chambers and you have two buttons on the top that you push and then you mix it together in your hand so when you put benzoyl peroxide and a retinoid together in the same formula they render each other inactive so if you separate them out though they don't and when you mix them together you're not mixing them together and then letting them sit for, you know, a week or a month. So they're, they're completely active at that point. So it was just a matter, you know, to me, it was, it was, it was actually pretty simple. And I had physicians say to me for years, Jan, if you could just take these two gold standard ingredients and put them together, it would be this incredible product. And I thought, well, why not? You just separate out two, you know, the dual chamber. Um, but you're absolutely right because in a lot of things today um, that very, very marketing, marketing rhetoric is very challenging because, again, nobody tells you they have the second best product. It's always the most wonderful product. There's always all these claims and everything that are made. But the fact is there's two things that aren't possible. One is you can't put everything in the same product. and Companies love to say, you use this one product, and it does everything. It's got retinol in it. It's got glycolic in it. It has lipoic acid in it. It has you know, niacinamide, whatever. Well, for example, in order for glycolic to um, really be effective, to hatch, do what it does in the medical studies in terms of collagen and all the things it does, it has to be at a pH for home care about 3.5. Retinoid has to be at a pH of 5. will C has to be at a pH, neutral pH. Ascorpic acid had a pH of 2.5, and I could go on and on. Plus, you can't put everything in the same product. So if you're formulating something, in a sense, it's, it's math. You've got 100%. You don't have 110% to work with or 150 Everything has to add up to 100%. So your first big ingredient is going to be water. The reason why you see it first listed first is because about 50% or more of your formulation is water. You can't bake a cake without liquid. So, and then you have binders and you have emollients and you have stabilizing ingredients because you don't want to open up this $75 jar and it's all separated and it's mushy. And so you have all of that. Then you have your actives. Now, maybe I need, you know, I'm going to put in 12 or 15% glycolic and I'm going to put something else in and something else in. All of a sudden, I've reached my 100%. So, you know what? I can do two things. Well, I can just lessen the percentages but charge you the same amount of money or more and maybe it won't work very well or I can formulate the product in which I can make sure that I'm using ingredients that are compatible in percentages that are really efficacious and that have that validation behind them and it's more expensive but that's
1: how I formulate. I love it. <laughs> okay, our next question for you is um what are some common skin myths that you hear about? Oh my gosh. There's
2: <laughs> God, there's a, a zillion of them. I mean, you know, <laughs> uh put toothpaste on it. Um but I know one that God, we talked about ahead of time a little bit, and that's about benzoyl peroxide. I don't even know where this came from, that you can't use it with a moisturizer, an oil-based moisturizer. Um, First of all, just from a common-sense standpoint, let's say you have really oily skin. Does that mean benzoyl peroxide won't work for you? Because you have oil in your follicle? (laughs) Nope. Now, so the way that benzoyl peroxide works is benzoyl forces peroxide in the follicle, releases oxygen. Has nothing to do with whether or not you have oil on your skin or not. So it releases oxygen, and C. Acne bacteria can't live in oxygen. It kills it better than anything we've ever seen. That's a statement by the American Academy kind of Dermatology. It'll work better than a topical antibiotic, better than anything. So, when you have the the C. Acne bacteria colonies, you keep them down at zero. You can't kill them permanently. That would be bactericidal. You can kill them every day. That's bacteriostatic. You keep them down to zero. They can't eat the oil, which is how they what they do, and then they excrete a fatty acid byproduct that's toxic, and that wears down your follicle walls. Your follicle either leaks, ruptures, or blows out, and you get a lesion. So acne starts in the follicle; doesn't start out here. Starts in the follicle. You get a lesion. That's the end of the process. So you can actually get complete, total clearing. There's no cure for acne, but you can get complete, total clearing with And never break out if you do this right. Now, that's not the only thing you have to do. You also have to keep the cells from sticking together in the follicle, and that's done with the glycolic, salicylic acid, and that type of thing.
1: So cool.
0: But another question is, does benzoyl peroxide age the skin as you use it, Mm -hmm. and does it dry the skin?
2: Yeah, it ages the skin horribly. I'm
1: 71. Are you actually... Oh my goodness! I
2: want I'm to look 70, like you. I'm, I'm almost 71 and a half. I'll be 72 in December. Um, no, it doesn't. So first of all, this was something that um, actually was sort of a myth, or was looked into. And I'm going to go back well over 30 years ago, and the idea was is that if you if benzol forces peroxide and the follicle releases oxygen, does so that oxygen then create free radicals? And the fact is, it's something that happens in such a split second. It's over before you can even measure it. I mean, it's 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 so infinitesimal. So it, it really has nothing to do with aging. And I'll tell you something else that's very interesting. You know, when we look at free radicals and antioxidants, this is the, on the very low end of the aging process. There are so many things that are so far above that. Uh, the antioxidant whole thing was about 16 years ago, 18 years now. They they determined that that really wasn't a factor necessarily in aging. Now, it doesn't mean that it doesn't play a role, but it's not a major factor. To give you an example, we have an anti-aging drug right now available to us that you can get by prescription that's used for diabetes called metformin, used for type 2 diabetes. Probably been used more than any drug in the world. Came into prescription use in 1972. It was invented around 1922. So, how does metformin work for anti aging? And we don't want to, we're not going to spend our whole hour on that. But <laughs> basically, what it does is when you take metformin, it creates tiny little free radicals that it releases into your cells that turn on certain anti aging genes. So, does that, does that mean that free radicals are always bad? This is a very complex issue, but what I can tell you, the bottom line is that benzoyl peroxide does not age the skin. Okay. And, you know, I tell people they can do anything they want, but if you really want complete total clearing, there's no exception, no negotiation. And if people, they have a choice. If they they want to have acne, if they say, they look in the mirror and they say, gee, yeah, I love it. I'm so happy I have acne. If they don't want to have acne, then this is what
1: you need to do and it works. Okay, what are your thoughts on pore clogging ingredients? You know what? I love
2: this question because this is a really, this for some reason, this has been getting a lot of um, focus lately as so well. So, hot topic. So, here's how this originated. So, originally, they had something called rabbit ear testing. And rabbit ear testing was devised by Dr. Albert Kligman, who invented retin-A, retinoic acid, and Dr. F- James Fulton, who was another really famous acne doctor. Fulton's been dead a few years, Kligman's been dead a few years. Kligman's probably the most famous derm in the world. Brilliant guy. Now, the rabbit ear has skin that's almost reacts identically to human skin. And I'm not a proponent of animal testing, but the fact is, is that when they were doing the rabbit ear testing, it didn't kill the rabbits, it didn't hurt him at all and when you have a rabbit you can you know exactly what they're eating you you don't know, you know you're they're not going to work every day they're not under stress they're not having a lot of the things that maybe could aggravate acne or something so you test the rabbit ear and it would tell you pretty much whether or not that reaction would occur now what they did is they rated it 0 to 5 0 or 1 would be pretty much doesn't have the propensity to cause comodonal activity or acne. And then if you got into twos, threes, fours, fives, five would be the worst. Five would be something like isopropyl myristate or coconut oil or something like that. Okay. And they divided it into 12 categories. The 12 categories that they divided and came under the heading of lanolins, fatty acids, alcohols, sugars, waxes, thickeners, oils, pigments, so remember red dye, which some of the red dyes have been banned, but they used to be very comedogenic. Uh, silicone, sterols, vitamins and herbs. So they had all these ingredients, all the things pretty much that you might use to make any of that, a product like that, and then they would give it a, a rating. Now, products can take weeks or months to create pore clogging comedogenicity. So, so first of all, this is another reason why rabbit ear testing was really good, because you could do it for six months, you could do it for a year, you could do it for pretty much as long as you wanted. And think, I'll give you an example on comedogenesis. In order for an acne lesion to form, it starts with a a comedone. You can't have an acne lesion without a microcomedone. So that's a microscopic clump of dead cells sticking together. Now, the average age in the U.S. that women begin to develop hips is eight years old. The onset of puberty is not men- it's not measured by menstruation. It's measured by breast development. So you could have a little nine-year-old girl with budding breasts. She's in puberty. She can be developing tons of microcomedones because they can sit there for days, weeks, months, longer. Sometimes somebody says, oh, yeah, my acne's gone. I cured it. And then three years later, They're breaking out again because there's no cure for acne. The microcomedones can be dormant. So that little 9-year-old girl might have perfect skin when she's 10, perfect skin when she's 11, but she's got microcomedones. Then all of a sudden on her 12th birthday, she wakes up and suddenly she's breaking out. So it can take that long. And just because you use something that's comedogenic doesn't mean you're going to break out tomorrow. Now, you could break out very quickly. But you could be using it for a long time and say, oh, it can't possibly be my makeup. It can't possibly be that moisturizer. I've been using it for six months. So it can take that long. So when you do testing, you have to take that into consideration. Now, the other thing is that some ingredients can become comedogenic when you combine them with an individual's own enzymes or their own chemistry. So it, it takes a lot of of research that goes beyond just testing. Now, here's how, and also some ingredients could be comedogenic in one product and not be comedogenic in another product. Um, so, how is that ingredient refined? How is an extract? I'll give you an example with essential oils. A lot of essential oils in most products are are chemically um, extracted, and those chemicals can be acneogenic. So you have to cold press. And then beyond that, is that essential oil on its own comedogenic, or is it non-comedogenic? So how they're refined, how they're extracted, what's the source of the raw material? All makes a difference. Here's how testing is typically done today, because people get so upset about animal testing. It's done on the back. Now here's the problem with that. The back reacts differently than facial skin. You have more oil, oil glands. There are people that go on Accutane; their face clears up, and the back doesn't. Back can be very different than the face. There's no controls on diet necessarily, so you might have one patient that eats, that drinks, that takes, that drinks a lot of milk. Milk causes acne. That's concluded. That's conclusive. It was done on forty. The study was done on forty-seven thousand nurses and a whole bunch of other people because. We milk cows when they're pregnant and they produce steroidal hormones. And I could go on and on about diet and some other things that play a role. So here you might have somebody who's drinking milk, somebody else who's not. And the tests are done by third-party labs. So there's labs for hire that you can have tests done on wrinkles, on acne, and anything, not physicians. And not only that, but we what we found is that each lab can have a whole different way of doing it. So it's not consistent. There's no law that says it has to be done a certain way. Um, Generally, these tests are four to eight weeks. Wow. So again, do we really see everything that happens in four to eight weeks? No. It may take longer than that for comedogenesis to appear. And again, there's no standardized testing. At the end, what they do is they take a biopsy, and then they decide whether or not it could be comedogenic. So I what I like to go by is I like to go by the old commutogenesy tables that were done on the rabbit ear testing. and I don't like to use anything at all that appears to be in any way commutogenic. And then from there you you want to formulate in a way that um, you would avoid that and use you know really high quality, raw materials look at what's in sometimes you buy a raw material and it's in a solution and it's the raw material could be i don't know whatever just any pick out any ingredient you want and some the things that are in the solution that you may not even be paying attention to that it's shipped to you that way could be comedogenic
1: oh wow
2: Also, you cannot rely on something that says it's oil-free. So many years ago, when oil-free products came into vogue, it was like a miracle. It's great. Oh, my God, finally, oil-free products. Well, there's a loophole because oil-free means that it can't have animal, mineral, or vegetable oil, but it leaves a loophole for synthetic oils. Synthetic oils are among the most comedogenic oils there are. Isopropyl miristate, isopropyl palmitate. I could go on and on. And then there's a lot of natural ingredients. People love coconut oil. That's that's a five. That's that's a horrid ingredient for acne. Um, and so, I just I formulate. I just don't use comedogenic ingredients. And we one of the things that we're famous for is not only just aging and rosacea and things like that, but acne. So when people use our products. They manage their acne. So I think that it's obvious that we don't have things that are comedogenic.
1: Yeah,
0: that's very interesting about the loophole. That's something I have never heard before.
2: Now, today I have to tell you, companies are much better. I used to have to keep a list of foundations because people say, what foundation should I use? And there were a lot that were oil-free that had bad ingredients and you can't tell it's not has nothing to do with whether a product feels thick or thin because some of those comedogenic oils mm. can make the product feel really nice and 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 refined and and really thin like how could that possibly clog my pores um but i don't have to keep a list anymore because really hardly any of the companies use things that are horribly comedogenic really so there's lots of different choices
0: yeah Can you talk about the difference between comedogenic versus acne-genic? Same thing. Same thing? Okay.
2: Yeah. So in other words, it's going to form, it's going to um, trigger the formation of a comedone. And you can't have acne without a microcomedone. So microcomedone, so when you touch the outside of your skin, you're touching the stratum corneum. It's a dead layer. And you shed that layer constantly. In fact, you shed about 500 million cells all over your body. You're just not aware of it. So you're setting these microscopic cells. Now, when you look at a follicle opening, we call them pores, but they're really sebaceous follicle openings. You're looking at the opening into a long, hollow tube. It's about as big as round as the diameter of a hair. Inside that tube, it's lined with dead cells. They're constantly shedding, 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 just like on the outside of the skin. At the bottom, you have oil glands. Now, oil glands are not designed to keep you young forever. No. You can be really old and have a lot of oil they look really old. But what they do is oil glands push the cells to the surface. They sit there and they fall off. That's what's supposed to happen. And in acne, we don't know why. It's very complex. But the cells stick together, and the beginning of that process is a microcomido. And that's where you get the term comedogenesis or acneogenesis. <clears throat> so you can't have acne unless
1: you have a microcomido. Wow. Okay. I'm learning so much. (laughs) Okay. Um, I have a question about rosacea. Mm -hmm. So I guess what is, I know like your, your specialty really, like you're really great at treating it. So what is your, um, I guess like number one recommendation or tips or trick for a client or for an esthetician treating a client to help with rosacea?
2: Okay. Well, the first thing I'm going to say is that you have to get a different mindset. Rosacea is not a disease of sensitivity. You can have very sensitive skin and not have rosacea and you can have rosacea and not be sensitive. It's a disease of reactivity. You're reactive to triggers and those triggers could be spicy food, could be alcohol, could be sitting in a hot room, could be sugar, could be weird things like avocados or berries. Um, It could be a lot of stress, not getting enough sleep. And what is it triggering? So, we can go into how sun exposure is a primary cause, you know, fair skin, blah, blah, blah. But the bottom line is you have an a, a, um, a, a inflammatory protein called kisilacidin. Now, this protein is actually a good protein because it helps in wound healing. So you produce it when inflammation is something that is necessary in the healing process, as long as it's not too much. But if you're producing it for no reason, because you just you know had a spicy burrito, um, that's not a good thing. And so, um, what you have to do with rosacea is you've got to downregulate the inflammatory pathways. Now, lots of times, what people do is they say, "Well, gee, it's sensitive skin, so I'm going to treat it really gently. I'm going to use these herbal things and these other things." Well, you know, a lot of times, you those can be triggers, can actually make it a lot worse. And so, what you have to do is you have to use anti-inflammatories. Glycolic is one of the most powerful anti-inflammatories we have. So, as a retinoid, so it's, um BioClear, which is glycolic salicylic and azelaic acid. So, we tell people you need to use the system; that's critical. And also, glycolic acid. There's medical studies that show that it keeps the demodex mite from attaching in the follicle. Although the demodex mite may not have, play a role in rosacea. That's a whole other story, but um, so we can do things to um, downregulate that inflammation. And then, secondly, the second thing along with that is Rosaliev, and Rosaliev. So, it's a separate product that's used with the system. And Rosaliev actually has a peptide that downregulates that kisselicitin protein. It's that inflammatory pathway as well as it has other things in there and you can actually if you look at the studies that we've done um, you can actually see vascular photos so we're a device where you can take photographs that show the vascular structure under the skin and it's not just that the skin looks less red on the outside you can actually see it decreases that vascular structure Amazing! Um, in fact on our professional site, there was just a webinar with a physician who is one of the physicians that works with one of the major um, laser companies for rosacea. And this is a physician that didn't believe in skincare. You know, there's and there's a lot of physicians out there that just believe. Well, you know, if, you're, if you have rosacea, you use a device, you take a drug, you whatever. But skincare, that's not medicine. And so this physician, after working with our products, was completely changed.
1: Wow. Wow. And he
2: actually did this webinar um, in which uh, he talked about the products, but also talked about how, and we have another study that was presented at the largest laser conference in the U.S., in which it showed that if you were doing something like IPL, which helps with the redness, the appearance of the telangiectasia that you actually can get as good or better result uh, using the system with the laser and say, for example, if you're supposed to do three to five treatments that you can get as good a result doing fewer treatments if you're using the system.
1: Wow. That's amazing. (laughs) That's so cool. Okay. Let's see. Our next question is, do you think that icing the skin is beneficial?
2: Um, you know, it can be. I think it depends. For example, I wouldn't ice the skin with rosacea because extremes of hot and cold are, are not helpful. But it can help with inflammation. Um, let's say you have an acne lesion. And, you know, when you have a lesion, that's the end of the process. you got to prevent them. So you, there's not a lot you can do to treat them, but you can kind of take down the redness or maybe the the, the fact that they look sort of swollen with ice. So it can help with puffiness. Um, you you have to be very careful because ice burn can be an issue.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
1: that makes sense.
0: Okay, so oh, I have a question about your vitamin C. It smells amazing. Love it. Um, what form of vitamin C do you use?
2: Okay, it's not ascorbic acid. It is ascorbyl palmitate. Now, chemically, ascorbyl palmitate is L-ascorbic acid 6-palmitate. So you move one molecule of water and one molecule of acid, and you end up with the the, um, ascorbyl palmitate. Um, And it's a stable form of vitamin C. So that's the form that we use.
0: Awesome. And... Does a vitamin C have to be in an airtight container to work properly? That's another thing we hear a lot in the aesthetics industry. Better way of
2: putting it is it doesn't matter if it's in an airtight container. Okay, so first of all, let's talk about ascorbic acid because that's the most common form that you see. So number one, for ascorbic acid to really work, it has to be at a pH of 2.5 or lower, and that's in the original patents. By Dr. Uh, Shaninsky and Dr. Meisner, demoral pathologists and a geneticist. And about 50% of the population can't tolerate that, it's a sense of stinging. Okay, so that's number one. Now, when vitamin C comes in contact with sunlight, with water, with oxygen, with air, it loses its efficacy. So if you have it in an airtight container, you can slow it down a little bit but it doesn't mean you're not getting any sunlight absorption unless it's in a glaminate tube, and you don't, can't typically put a liquid in a glaminate tube. So there's some cer- certain things that uh, that happens. And there's something that happens with a scorpic acid called redux, and what that stands for is reduction and oxidation. So oxidation is what happens when it comes in contact with, with, with oxygen. Okay, Redux is what happens uh, reducing when it comes in contact with certain other elements, such as a retinoid. So what you hear all the time, don't you hear, oh, you should use your vitamin C in the morning and you should use your retinoid at night. Why is that? Why can't you put them together? Because they render each other inactive. So with the squirrel palmitate, and that's that's known as redux. So with the squirrel palmitate, you can use them together at the same time. It's a neutral pH. It doesn't burn. It doesn't steam. You can use it concurrently with glycolics, with retinoids. And there's study after study. In fact, if you want to go on Medline, you can find about 1,500 to 2,000 studies, both internally and externally on palmitate. Studies showing that uh, it's roughly 30 times more potent than ascorbic acid at even one quarter of the amount. Um, studies that have been done by Ogla Marco, who is uh, an independent biologist, she used to be Sloan Kettering in terms of its ability to stimulate collagen far more than um, ascorbic acid. So, again, we use it because of the stability and because it's so efficacious. It's a lot more expensive to use that ingredient to buy it, but that's why we use it. Okay. Now, I'm going to say one other thing about it. I always say when you talk about siesta – if you could take the vitamin C out of it, you would have an extraordinary product because of something called DMAE, dimethylaminoethanol. Now, DMAE is what is known as a neurotransmitter factor. So, your brain produces acetylcholine, neurotransmitter, and um, one of the things that acetylcholine does is it gives you what's called correct anatomical muscle positioning. So every nerve in your body sparks acetylcholine into your muscle, causes them to contract. You can call it muscle tone if you want. Even your facial nerve sparks acetylcholine into the muscle, and it's one of the reasons why you have nice high cheek pads and your jawline is defined. Now, as you age, maybe you produce less acetylcholine, but probably the receptor sites become more compromised. They don't pick it up the same way. So what happens is you don't have the same muscle tone and you see more sagging. You know, ask anybody who's 60. If they exercise like a fiend, they're still not going to have the same body they had when they were 20. And by the same token, you have this natural downward trend with the face. And this is not the answer to the aging process. It's one of the pieces of a very huge puzzle. But there was a study that was presented at the American Academy of Dermatology. And what they did is, it's a half-face, double-blind, random placebo. So this is a real medical study. And what they did is, half the face got the DMAE. person didn't know which what they were using, whether they were using it or not. But the side that got it, there was one eyebrow higher than the other, nasolabial fold more pulled back, jawline more defined, neck looked better. And the interesting thing about it was they found that the effect was persistent. Now, what does that mean? Persistent is actually a medical term, or it's used medically, which means that there was, that the effect continued. So let's just say you used, you go to the drugstore, department store, and you buy a lifting firming product. What you're usually getting is you're getting a filming agent. And what it does is it kind of tenses the skin a little bit. You don't; It doesn't feel sticky. You just feel like it went into your skin. But it's like almost like a little bit of a netting on the skin. And so your skin looks a little firmer and more contoured. But when you wash your face, it goes away. So with this, let's just say you use this for three months, and then you decide you weren't going to use it any longer. What they found was that your skin would simply age back, doesn't wash off. It's one of the most powerful anti-inflammatories we've ever found. It's a delivery agent for other ingredients as well.
1: That is so cool. I have never even, like, I never heard that study. So, you know, when people
2: talk about siesta, all they think about is vitamin C. And really, this is an amazing, phenomenal ingredient that we have in there with it.
1: Yeah, that's really cool.
0: Okay, so we're getting towards the end. Uh, We just have a few more questions for you. Sure. So uh, there is a lot of talk. Uh, Recently, people have been coming out and saying that they think dermaplaning is damaging on the skin. And we were curious what your thoughts on dermaplaning are.
2: Okay, so I'm going to answer that this way. Anything you should do with the skin should start off with a question. This is the question I ask everybody. If I'm talking to, I can't tell you all the celebrities I talk to, I can mention one of them because she talks about it all the time in that chair, I worked with chair for years. But if I'm talking with a famous physician, first thing I'm going to ask them, if there was something you could change or improve about your skin, what would it be? I don't paraphrase it. I ask exactly the same question every time. Now, people usually give me their number one concern. Okay, I have acne. Or I have fine lines and wrinkles. And then I'll say, well, what else would you like to change or improve about your skin? And they typically give me three or four things. That's the runway. I should never use anything on their skin unless it's specifically going to address one of those things. Think about how you'd feel about your skin if you could address every single issue. So... That's the basis of what determines that they should be using. If it it doesn't have any validation, it's not going to work for one of those things or really make a difference, you don't use it. So that's number one. So if somebody was going to do dermaplaning, the first thing I'd want to know is I'd say to them, so tell me, why do you want to do dermaplaning? Dermaplaning, there's nothing that's not that it's bad. It's that it's very superficial. It's basically kind of like shaving your skin. It's not going to... There's nothing that shows it stimulates collagen. There's nothing that shows it's going to get rid of acne. In fact, it could exacerbate it because you don't want a dermal over acne. It's not going to be good for rosacea. It's not going to help with discoloration per se. So it's an exfoliation. Now, if exfoliation is your goal, if that's what you say, well, I want to exfoliate my skin. Well, what if you can exfoliate your skin but at the same time stimulate collagen, really make an effect on acne, or some other certain skin conditions. So why wouldn't I want to do that? So number one, it becomes, what is going to actually work? Now, beyond that, can dermaplaning injure the skin? Yes, if it's not done properly. And there's all kinds of stories that you can, horror stories that you can see in pictures before and after pictures that you can see. Actually, I looked that up recently, and it was a kind of horrifying when I saw this. It's like somebody's taking a knife and slashed the skin. Oh. I mean that's obviously some something that was it was done improperly. That's not just there there's plenty of dermaplaning that have been done over the years. There's different ways of doing it. Originally it was done where you did dry ice and then you dermoplaned over oh, wow. after you did the dry ice. Um, and so you but if you don't do it properly, you could actually end up with breakouts and cuts and scratches or deeper cuts and things like that. So it really in and of itself, I don't think there's anything wrong with it but it's really you have to think about
1: why am i doing this and what am i hoping to accomplish that makes sense okay i have my last question for you is i want to know a little bit like about your family and like how do you balance being a business owner and a wife and this and that and everything else <laughs> in your life like how do you balance it cuz i have two oh, little kids gosh. and i am currently doing my own business and i'm like how the heck did she do all of that in her lifetime? Like, and you're still going, <laughs> um, how do you do well,
2: it? You know, it truly is a passion. So that's, that's number one. Um, that's a really good question. Okay. Let me just think about that for a second, because first of all, I don't have, I don't have any biological children. I have two stepdaughters, Okay, but they're married, they have kids. Um, and so when, when I, my husband and I, we've been married almost, well, almost 28, 29 years. Oh I have I've last track. So when I first met them, and they were teenagers, you know, we spent time on weekends, but it wasn't something where I had custodial care for them every single day. Um, and I will say, um, I'm very blessed to have the husband that I have, who I'm absolutely madly in love with, um, because the, our life... Has you know really for many many years was very very intense. Um, we would be home for a day or two, and then we'd be on the road traveling. I have something like uh, I think twenty million miles air miles, and I was speaking all over the world, I was speaking at medical conferences, doing continuing education classes. Home for a day or two, off again. Home for a day or two, off again, and running a business. So it was just it was really was my whole life, but I was fortunate because he traveled with me everywhere. oh. And I couldn't have done it if I if how could I've had a relationship if I was leaving him at home, and seeing him for a day or two at a time? I'm sure that there are relationships like that, but it wouldn't have. I don't think it would have worked for us. Mm-hmm. And so we really lived it together, and we're able to spend that time together. And it's kind of like taking your home with you. So I was really fortunate
1: with that. That's really cool. Does he work like in your business with you? You know, it, at
2: one time he did. He has not, although he, um, he attends inventory meetings. That's pretty much his main focus these days. Um, and I, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm really fortunate because one of the things that is wonderful about being an entrepreneur for me, you know, like, you know, remember that movie with Bruce Willis where he said, um, where the kids said, I see dead people. Okay, well. I see businesses. <laughs> I manifest businesses. I'm always seeing businesses, and one of the, the fun things about being an entrepreneur is that you get to do everything. If you, you know, you get to sell, you get to educate. You, you literally, well, you have to be able to do everything. You, you know, you can, in the beginning, you don't have a staff. And so that's something that I love is that creative process and just dreaming it up and every day it's different and and just making it happen. Um, But the bad news is you do have to do everything. And a lot of times entrepreneurs don't get to be a world-class company because they can't let go. So they get to a point where they kind of hit a ceiling, because truly, you you may think you're good at everything, but you really have to start to focus on what am I truly good at? I can do anything, but what am I really good at? And you have to be able to, at some point, start to delegate. And that's not easy, because along the way, you, you know, I've kissed a lot of frogs, but eventually, I was able to build a work, world-class staff. And I mean, when I say world-class staff, I mean truly capable, talented, brilliant people. So today, I don't really do day-to-day operations. I get to do stuff like this. So fun. <laughs> that, I really, that I really, really enjoy because I love to talk about it. I And I love to educate and I love to have these conversations. So I get to do that. I don't, you know, I don't have to. Hire and fire people. I don't have to run accounting. I don't have to run HR. I don't have to. You know, I have a big marketing staff. I have, I don't know. I last count, I think I have fifty-five salespeople, um, full education staff. So, so you know, it's a it's a full-fledged company,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it's 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 really hard to let go and to get to that point, but that's what you you know what you have to do.
1: Yeah. I'm so proud of you. That's amazing. Uh, You're really you. inspiring.
2: That's so Thank you. That's so kind of you. You made my, you definitely made my month. Oh,
0: <laughs> well, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for taking the time to answer these questions that we had. But is there anything that you would like to share with our listeners before we end our call? Well,
2: two things. first thank you so much for listening because everybody who listens, I wouldn't be here without you guys. And the second thing is that, you know, no one can do it for you. No one gets you out of bed in the morning. At least no one gets me out of bed in the morning (laughs) and gets my day started. And no one makes a lot of the hard decisions. No one goes through the challenges with you. There's just things that happen and things that you're faced with. And whatever career you're in, whether you have your own business or it's a career, and whether you're in sales or you're in marketing or anything, no one does your job for you. But you don't have to do it alone. And one of the things I always say to our resellers is you don't have to do it alone. And we're, you know, we're there to support you. I love
0: that. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Um,
1: thank you. We will hopefully get to chat with you in the future. We would love to have you on again. Oh, thank you. I would be so <laughs> flattered. I'd love to. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. We we just love you. We love everything about you. Your mm-hmm. brand. You're just an inspiration. So thank you so much for I'm so for joining kind. this thank call. You. Okay, we will it's talk to you. Fun. We'll talk to you again very soon. Okay. Thank you Bye. so much. Thanks, See ya.